Well, good morning. Many of you were expecting Pastor Danny here this morning. Um, I want to apologize for that. He is under the weather, not feeling well this morning. And so I want us to start off this morning by praying for him. And so would you begin even now in the quietness of your heart and the whispers, would you begin to um, pray for our pastor and just pray specifically for healing for him and ask God to touch his body. I also um, want us to pray um, for the Daly family. Um, we mourn the passing of, of Felix, our dear brother. Um, I was thinking and praying for Miss Kathleen this morning. We mourn for ourselves. We do not mourn for Brother Felix. He is alive and well, and he is doing better than he has ever done. And so we rejoice in that. But let's pray for, um, for the peace of God that surpasses all understanding to just permeate this family's heart. And so also want you to pray, thirdly, this morning, I want you to pray for yourself. And so I want you to pray and ask God to speak to you this morning in the next few moments. And so let's bow together in prayer. Father, we lift our brother this morning. Love Pastor Danny so much, his heart for this church, his heart for the gospel. And Lord, we ask this morning that your overwhelming power would permeate his body and that you would bring healing to this cold, this that he and Miss Ashley would just see a speedy recovery, that you'd give him rest and resilience to defeat this, whatever he's picked up, um, and this, this little head cold thing. We pray you touch him. Lord, we ask for um, continued peace for Kathleen and the, the um, Daly family. We love this family so much. And Lord, as I was praying this morning, I sensed who's gonna fill those shoes. And so selfishly, selfishly, I hate to see a brother like that go because he's a prayer warrior and he has been lifting this church so much. And so God, I pray you rise up um, those that would follow the faithful example of Brother Felix. Lord, we ask for prayer for ourselves this morning, myself not, in, uh, in, not exempt and included in this prayer. Would you speak to me? Would you speak to us through the power of your word? Lord, the only thing that you said was powerful besides your son and you was the gospel. It is powerful. So we pray the power of the gospel move in our lives um, some have experienced salvation by that power and need to experience the sanctifying power of the gospel this morning. Others in this space or online need to experience the power of the gospel for the first time and be redeemed and set free in a, in a relationship and a walk with you. So we pray you do your bidding. This is your, um, your moment. In Jesus' name, amen. I believe the primary emphasis of preaching is to display and platform the glory of God. The gospel or the word preached should highlight and should feature the splendor of Jesus. If it does not, then it is not good news. 
There's a verse on the screen that God has just been working in me. Read it with me, 2 Corinthians 3:18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I don't usually use the message version, but it reads, there is nothing between us and God. Our faces shining with the brightness of his face, and so we are transfigured, much like the Messiah, our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. This morning in Connect Group, we talked about Moses and his encounter with God and the the radiance of God's glory on his face that dissipated as he stepped out of the presence of the Lord. The glory of God in a Christian today increases in radiance. It should increase in radiance. As we meet Jesus, we become brighter and brighter. And that's one of my fondest memories of Felix Daly. One of my fondest memories was just a few weeks ago, just hearing him testify of the beauty of Jesus and and, and confessing in a simple hallway conversation that he is still learning and he is still growing and he's still walking with Jesus. What a faithful man, the radiance of his glory, certainly on Felix's face. And now he is in a perfect place um, with no more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears, but only joy with the Lord. So how do we glorify the Lord? If I were to caption this sermon this morning, I would say God is most glorified when we hear Jesus, and we're gonna see this, and when we fully devote ourselves to him. God is most glorified when I hear Jesus and when I fully devote myself to him. If you have your copy of God's word, tablet, um, turn with me to Matthew 17. We're gonna read verses one through eight. If you're using a device, if you would, hit those notifications to off, because I guarantee you everyone is gonna start texting you as soon as you grab that thing. Throw them into, into airplane mode so we can read together. We're gonna observe a rare incident in scripture where God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are personified on the scene at one time. This is important for us to see because the Father says something, and it's profound, and we're gonna break that down and see what the Lord has to say to us through what the Father said to the disciples in that day. Let's read Matthew 17, one through eight together. And after six days... Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, It is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, 
a bright cloud overwhelmed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and they were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, said, rise, have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. This is the word of the Lord. If we begin in verse one, um, first of all, this, this account is recorded both in Mark and Luke as well. But it starts off with after six days. Six days after what? Well, six days after Jesus had told of his death and resurrection and charged the disciples to tell no one that he was headed to a cross to die. And by the way, he said, if you want to follow me, pick up yours too and die as well. And so their minds are probably racing, trying to wrap around what's going on and, and trying to understand what's, what, where Jesus is headed. And they're thinking about this, but Jesus takes them away. Notice they are led, this is intentional. Jesus leads them to the mountain. This is intentional discipleship. Peter, James, and John, along with Jesus. This looks a lot like our D-Path groups here at Great Hills Baptist Church, where we get along, iron sharpens iron, where three or four of us come together. It's one of my favorite times in the week when I have men that speak into my life and invest in me. Jesus has taken them away um, intentionally. Now, in the, the Greek text tells us he took them to a high mountain. We're not sure which mountain. We don't know for sure. It's believed to be Mount Hermon, which is about 9,000 feet in elevation, close to um, uh, Caesarea Philippi. Now, I have a question. What, what's the significance of a high mountain? Has anybody ever been to the top of a mountain before? I know this is Texas. We have a few mountains. So I have a picture of um, a high mountain that I summited last year. This is about 13,167 feet. This is, Mount, uh, this is Wheeler Peak in New Mexico. Now I want you to notice something in this picture. Do you see anyone in the picture besides me? What do you see? You see a lot. <laughs> yeah, somebody said a lot. You see a lot. There are miles and miles and miles, uh, 50, 100, even several hundred miles in the distance. You can see everything. I wanna say this. It was, it was quite um, an experience to get to the top of the mountain. There are a few things I noticed. I noticed that there were not a lot of people on the mountain. You just don't happen upon a summit. You have to take intentional um, measures to get there. Secondly, there was not a lot of rivals for my attention. I'll tell you what had my attention. You saw that view? That's what had my attention. I was blown away. And the wind literally was about to blow me away because there were about 30, 40 mile an hour winds up there. But all I could do is glory in the presence of the Lord. All I could do is be in awe of his majesty as I looked at his creation and his creation declared the glory. The disciples are on the top of the mountain with Jesus. Luke 9, 28 tells us that they were praying. 
Look at verse two of Matthew 17. And Jesus was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. God chooses to feature Jesus in an amazing way. I believe this is the same light that um, shone to the apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. It was bright, it was blinding. Um, other accounts in scripture said, Luke says it shone all around Jesus. One account said that it shone from within Jesus. But this word metamorpho uh, appears few times in scripture. In Romans 12 too, he says, be, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, be metamorpho by the renewing of your mind. This word metamorpho is where we get our word metamorphosis the process by which a cocoon moves to a butterfly. This is an amazing thing. The disciples are blown away um, as they look at the radiance of Jesus, shone like the sun. What happens if you gaze into the sun? You'll go blind. Immediately, depending on the day, within seconds, your eyes are hurting. Now, you can even turn and close your eyes, and what do you see? You still see that image that's been seared into your eyeball. I don't understand that, Dr. Butler, but um, I can close my eyes and I can still see that sun. This is what they see when they look at Jesus. There's the only way they could really compare it, the glory of God um, on, on Jesus. Verse three, and behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with them. So the party of four on the mountain is now a party of six. Moses and Elijah enter the scene. Luke 9, 31 tells us that Moses and Elijah appeared in glory and spoke of Jesus's departure. They spoke of his death, which he, and I quote, was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Scholars speculate why Moses and Elijah were there, we don't really know. We know that Moses was a representative of the law and Elijah perhaps represented the prophets. Moses um, and Elijah were talking to Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I just, I sit with a cup of coffee and just think about that and just ruminate on that. And as I think and I, 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 I question, I wonder, what were they talking about? The disciples are asleep. Luke tells us they're out. And, and, and Moses and Elijah are talking to Jesus. I can only imagine that Moses may be um, thinking of the Exodus. Moses may be looking at the comparison. Jesus is about to lead mankind out of slavery to sin into, a, into Christ under the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And Moses is saying, you know what? That typology that you had me do, it's very similar. I led the people out of Egypt from slavery to Pharaoh, and you're about to lead them out of sin and slavery to sin. Maybe Elijah is sitting there saying, you know what? Those saints in that day that are gonna meet you in the air, that's a lot like I met you in that chariot of fire. You know, this is cool, but they're having a conversation we don't know 
Um, and the disciples don't know because Luke tells us what the disciples were doing. What were they doing? If you said asleep, you got it right, all right? Pat yourself on the back. Those boys were snoozing. What were they supposed to be doing, people? They were supposed to be praying. I would venture that parallels my life at times. Um, maybe the church, we need to be praying. Pastor Danny's called us to pray. Are we praying or are we sleeping? Let's look at verse four. And Peter said to Jesus. So Peter wakes up, says to Jesus, I'm gonna read it how I think it happened. You ready? Throw a little tone in there. Lord, it is good that we are here. All right, that's the way I see it. If you wish, I will make three tents. What is Peter doing? Peter is doing what Peter did best. He's putting his foot in his mouth. He's kind of like Emmett, if you watch Lego movies. I can, I can build a, a spaceship, you know. I, some of you catch that. I can build a spaceship. He's wanting to build something. What is Peter thinking? What is he trying to do? Now, Mark records that Peter was terrified. Um, the Greek word there, phobio, is he's, he's literally to the max scared. He didn't know what to say, Mark says. Peter had, did not know what to say, which is characteristic of him. But building three structures could perhaps be an attempt to put Elijah and Moses and Jesus on the same pedestal. And I believe that's kind of the, the premise, the idea, is let's plat for them. Let's build them a tent. Now, the word used in the Greek is, is um, skene, which is a temporary structure made out of skins and poles. It's temporary, as opposed to oikos, that is a permanent dwelling in that day. Peter is wanting to feature Jesus and Moses and Elijah. And God is not cool with that um, for some reason. I think we'll see that in just a second. I believe he interrupts him here. This is um, the first time Peter would be interrupted here by the father. Um, he's interrupted by the son in verse 24 and he would be interrupted by the Spirit in Acts 10. Peter misunderstood the sign. I, I believe Peter did not understand because of what appears to be a rebuke from the Father. I don't think Peter understood what he was supposed to discern from the Father recognizing, uh, or the Father glorifying Jesus here in that moment. He misunderstood the sign. Have you ever misunderstood a sign? Have you ever been misunderstood before? Yes, those of you that are married, this way means yes. You have been misunderstood, for sure. I um, read a story about a state trooper on Interstate 10. He's shooting traffic, trying to ruin um, somebody's day. He's on the side of the road and he's trying to catch that speedster. And he notices a jalopy top the hill old big old long car from the 70s and, and it's going 10 miles an hour and he shoots it again, it's 10 miles an hour. And he thinks to himself, I need to pull this car over because going under the speed limit is just as dangerous as speeding. Cars are flying around this car at 80 mile an hour and so he whips in behind this old car and pulls these little old ladies over. And he notices, he calls the tag in, and he notices there are five 
elderly ladies, it appeared, in the car. And so the officer walks up to the car, and as he's about to approach the front door, he looks in the back seat, and he sees three ladies in the back seat, and their eyeballs are as big as golf balls. He notices the girl on the left is shaking. She's holding on to the door handle, but her arm is shaking, and she has the knee of the other girl. And he steps up to the window, and the lady roll, lets the window down and, and says, Officer, she just starts talking. I was going exactly the speed. He says, Ma'am, you weren't going the speed limit. I didn't pull you over for speeding. I pulled you over for going under the speed limit. I clocked you at 10 miles an hour. She said, That's right. I was going 10 miles an hour. And she wags her finger at the sign there on the side of the road Highway 10. And she says, I was going just the speed limit. And he says, Ma'am, Ma'am, she chuckled, and he said, I, I'm gonna let you go, but I just, I've gotta let you know that, that sign is the highway sign. You misunderstood the sign. That's the highway sign. I'm gonna let you go. Have a nice day, and hands her license back. And just as he's turning to walk away, he says, can I, I ask you a question? I'm gonna let you go, but I, I just need to know. Your passengers look terrified. They're white as ghosts, and I mean, they look a fright. I mean, I, I, I just, what's, what's going on in this car? She says, oh, officer, they will be okay. You see, a few miles back, we just got off of Highway 120. <laughs> she misunderstood the sign. Misunderstanding the sign can cost you dearly. Um, and Peter clearly is misunderstanding the sign. Look at verse five. Here's how I know he misunderstood it. One of the reasons I know is he, Peter, was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son, whom am I well pleased, listen to him. Now, the party of now six on the mount, mountain is now eight because the Father and the Spirit steps on the scene. And the Father makes three strong proclamations. And I think we need to listen to these this morning. Number one, the Father announces Jesus is God and his cherished Son. This is important Jesus is God, apagatos, he says, I apagatos, I love him. This is the apex of all loves. I love Jesus above all. He is my chosen one. Luke 9, 35 says that uh, Peter, or Luke uses the word chosen one. Secondly, the father proclaims his pleasure in Jesus. Jesus is the only one on the scene that he is well pleased with. I'm well pleased with Jesus. A high degree of delight, satisfaction. The Father is pleasured by Jesus. He's pleased by him. Thirdly, the Father spotlights Jesus and commands the disciples to hear him. He says, hear Jesus. He used the words akuo, which is a present active imperative. Pay close attention. Lean into Jesus. Hey, here's Jesus. Moses and Elijah, they, they disappear. We're about to see. 
but he points to Jesus and he says, I, I, I want you to listen to him. Pay close attention. Follow him is what he is saying. Look to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Are you listening to Jesus? Now, I just have to think, what had Jesus told them to do? Jesus had been walking with these boys for three years. He told them a lot. Did he tell them to pray? Y'all help me out. We're going to be here a while. He told them to pray, right? What were they doing? They were sleeping. In a second, we're going to see him say something else to them. I think it's really, really important. But he's featuring. One thing is clear here, that the greatest thing the disciples could do is not build a, a monument of honor or platform Moses or Elijah or facility of worship or start a prayer movement, uh, platform men of faith, this is not what Jesus is calling them to do. Um, he's calling the disciples to submit and follow in obedience to whatever Jesus tells them to do. He could have rebuked Satan. He has their attention. He could have rebuked Satan. He could have, he could have called out their unbelief and their fear. Um, he could have done anything he wanted to do, but he chose to point to Jesus and say, listen and hear Jesus. Verse six, the disciples heard this. They fall on their faces and they're terrified. There's that word phobio. Phobio is not worship here. They are extremely terrified. Um, this is fear to the max, right? I believe it's unhealthy fear because look at verse seven um, when God re rebukes or Jesus rebukes the, um, the fear. Verse seven, Jesus came and touched them saying, rise up, get up, have no fear. Rise and have no fear is the thing that Jesus told them. Get up, don't be afraid. There are all kinds of problems that fear, bring in, fear brings in our lives. And one of them, is it renders us un just un, uh, there's an, an inability to worship, an inability to see God when we're cowering in fear, when we are afraid. And clearly, since he rebuked the fear, this fear was not healthy fear. Jesus rebukes the fear, says, rise up, don't, don't be afraid. And they lifted up their eyes, verse eight, and they saw no one. Let's look at Peter's account. This will be on the screen. 2 Peter 1, 16 through 19. This is the account Peter records later on of his encounter there with Jesus, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit. Peter says, and I quote, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son of whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. He understands it even more now. To which you will do well to pay attention 
as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Peter clearly was changed by that light. He was changed by gazing and, and listening and tuning in to Jesus. I want us to look at five affirmations um, from the text, and then we will close this morning. Affirmation number one, Jesus is chosen and most cherished by the Father. God the Father says, my beloved son, Apagatos, depicts a love that's platformed above all others, his chosen son. Who is this son? Who is Jesus? I had someone tell me this week that Jesus is a good prophet. He was a man just like Muhammad. He was a man just like Joseph Smith. And you cannot read this Bible, the Holy Bible, and believe that. Because from cover to cover, there's proof after proof, or I wouldn't be following Christianity. I wouldn't be a follower of Jesus Christ if it weren't absolutely irrefutable that Jesus is God. And I'm gonna show you the proof that worked for me um, years ago and still works today. Hebrews 1 uh, tells us long ago at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, by Elijah, right? But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. This is speaking of Jesus. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. A few verses down from that, verse 14, says this word became flesh and dwelled among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son of the father, son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was present in creation. This is clear proof here. Even in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That word God is Elohim in Hebrew. And there's a plurality in that word in the Hebrew language that says more than two and less than four. You have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's why later on he says, let us make man in our image. Who's the us? It's God the Father, God the Son, present in creation. Jesus is not created, people. My God is not created. He is uncreated. That deserves a hearty amen because our life depends on that. He is Lord and King of kings and Lord of lords. He's uncreated. Um, that's my Savior. Um, on the screen, it says, as God was, as God, Jesus was never born but his flesh was birthed through Mary. I think this is important. Um, there are scriptures taken out of context that because he was born through Mary, it doesn't mean that he, he, he was born on earth. 
Jesus was never born on earth. He was born um, it, as he took on an earth suit or flesh through a woman named Mary, conceived of the Holy Spirit. This is the work of the Lord. As he, through obedience, Jesus came because of God's love. The Bible says that he loved us so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe in Jesus? Have you heard Jesus say, come to me? Have you heard Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life? And have you believed that, that he became my death? He became my life because he's not a baby anymore. He's not a, 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 a flesh and bone nailed to a cross. He is not in a tomb. Jesus is alive and he is risen and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, making intercession for us and he's coming back and there will be a reckoning. And we, the only way we can stand before him clean and holy is through what Jesus did and through our acceptance of the grace that he offers us. When he says, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. Hey, he died for that. He died for the sins of your past. He died for the sins of your, your, your today and he died for the sins of my tomorrow. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? This is Jesus. Jesus is chosen and most cherished by the Father. Number two, affirmation number two, the Father is most satisfied in Jesus. This is really cool. There's only one on the mountain that Jesus is pleased with. God takes pleasure in Jesus. Um, you know, we take pleasure in all kinds of things. We fashionably dress. We eat things that we like and crave. Um, God is pleasured by Jesus. He's pleasured by our love and his love for, for Jesus. Um, and he platforms him here. And I think um, we can so easily, and we were talking about this in Connect Group this morning, looking at Moses coming down off the mountain with God. And the people had created an idol. And just in 40 days, they had already gathered up all their jewelry that they snatched when they were leaving Egypt, probably. And they created a golden calf. They created an idol. Now, chances are you and I will not fashion a calf this week. We will not create that as an idol. But there are other things that can creep in because without... Um, without the grace of God, I'm an idol factory. I just make idols. And I can put anything, even good things, in the place of God things, and they become idols. And so I have to be very, very careful um, to keep my, fix my gaze on Jesus and hear him and stay in fellowship with him. The Father um, is satisfied in Jesus. I am to adore Jesus. Tozer said this. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. You got to ruminate on that a little bit. I've seen it before. Thought it was worth reading again. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Do we delight in the Lord? Is, is the word of God our daily bread? Thirdly, affirmation from the text, God the Father commands devotion to Jesus. Heed and respond. He's in essence saying, turn your eyes to Jesus. 
Turn your eyes to Jesus. What is Jesus saying? What has Jesus said to you? This is what you need to do, Peter. It's a rebuke. And I think it's a valid rebuke for us today. Just to evaluate our hearts and turn and say, what has Jesus said? How am I, how am I following that? Now, I don't follow that for salvation. The only thing I follow for salvation, I love this illustration. You've heard it before. In this bottle is water, H2O, right? I'm not drinking the bottle when I drink this water. I'm drinking the water, right? Grace is what saves me. Grace saves me. The bottle is like my faith. It brings the grace to me. I don't even have part. I have so little to do with this, if not almost nothing to do with my salvation. It's God's grace. It's by grace that we are saved through faith. Somebody needs to hear that this morning because you're gonna realize, hey, I've been leaning on some other things and it's not Jesus because the only way you come to Jesus is by grace and it's through faith. Faith is the, the vessel that brings the grace to you. I believe it. It's not I believe it, therefore it's true. It's I believe it. It was true and it is true whether we believe it or not. It's grace and it's by grace that we are saved and it's by grace that God does a work in our lives today and moves us. So turn your eyes on Jesus. Hey, I, I love geeking out over scientific things in the, in the body and it's interesting. So I wanna give you six basic steps how we hear. This is just free. Sound enters the ear canal. The eardrum moves and vibrates the cochlea. The fluid in the cochlea travels like ocean waves. The auditory nerve picks up any neutral signals in those waves created by hair cells and transfer of low pitch and high pitch sound information. And the auditory nerve moves signals to the brain where they are translated into recognizable and meaningful sound. We hear through the brain. I thought that was really cool. Has nothing to do with the sermon this morning, but it's really cool. The brain is what hears. Hey, if the brain hears, then the brain can stop you from hearing. And so we have to be really careful um, that we hear Jesus. Um, I hear Jesus most through the reading of God's word. I thought of seven ways that I hear Jesus, and I'm gonna give them to you. I hear Jesus primarily through the reading of God's word. I absorb it. Um, last year, I journaled every day. Even when I was on that mountain, I journaled. I committed to do that to some guys, and I did. And I learned a lot. And I, learned, I read through the Bible last year, learned a lot. I'm le I've learned a lot this morning reading the Bible. Jesus speaks to me through the reading of the word. Secondly, human agency. He speaks to me through brothers and sisters in Christ and other humans. My wife often, God will speak to me through mentors, discipleship groups, and the multitude of counsel, there's safety. Thirdly, life situations, a closed door, an open door, a miracle. These are ways God speaks to us. God speaks to me a lot in affliction. That's the fourth thing. Affliction, he, he uses affliction to 
check my desire. Um, 2 Timothy 3.12 says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer affliction or will suffer persecution. It should be expected. G.K. Chesterton said, Jesus promised his disciples three things, that they would be completely fearless, absurdly happy, and in constant trouble. I hear God in affliction. God can move me emotionally. Fifth, fifth way I hear God is through emotion, just like a smoke detector tells us there's a fire. Often God will just move in an emotion and speak to me that way. Provision of needs. God speaks to us in providing a need or not providing a need. And I think one of the biggest ways he speaks to me is finally is through just speaking to my heart. You may not hear it. Um, it's typically not audible for me, but it is so loud. Um, very discernible at times. It's just, he, he's the loudest person in the room and, and he has the power to do that. God commands devotion to this Jesus. How are you hearing him? What intentional measures are we taking to hear him? Um, we have to tune out those things. That's number four. Tune out opposition to hearing Jesus. There is an, there's an opposition to hearing Jesus. Um, primarily, his name answers to Satan. I'm not one to blame everything on Satan, but he is active. The Bible says he's roaming the earth, seeking who he can devour. The Bible tells us that he kills, steals, and destroys. But he also tells us that he's a barking dog on a leash, my paraphrase. He is powerless. Um, he, all he can do is bark and ensue and, and push fear. And that's, that's the very thing that Jesus gets up and tells the disciples, don't be afraid. Get up. Get off your faces. Why are you afraid? And yet Satan takes fear and he renders us ineffective. And, and that um, often confuses the communication. Um, Satan's also compared to an angel of light. His agenda is in opposition to God. It opposes everything um, God the Father has said and everything that you will hear Jesus say. From the beginning, we see Satan's game plan. He is not to be listened to. He's to be tuned out. You know, even a room this size that's quiet, those of you online, you might be in a space that's you're all by yourself. It's quiet. There's still noise. What do you hear in the room? I hear a page turning. I hear air moving behind me. It's moving on this stage, which is great. It's a door just shut. Someone coughed. Um, there are all kinds of noises. Noises you may not have heard if you weren't intently tuning in to those noises. Do you realize it? You can count a bunch of things that in, in the quiet that of noises. And just like Jesus' voice that is so powerful and awesome to us and we need to hear it, there are agencies that push it away. And I think the primary one, this is not in my notes, this is free. I think this is the primary thing today that is pushing um, an agenda contrary to hearing Jesus. And some of you are on this right now and you're not looking at this text. And I'm not gonna call you out. I'm not your student pastor, but I could, so put it up. It's probably Clash of Clans. You know who you are. Um, 
Distractions, distractions, they come. We need to tune those out. If we're gonna intently hear Jesus, we have to tune those out um, and be careful. Who we hear is important. When I was on the mountain last summer, we almost had a mistake. I don't wanna throw names out there, but um, um, there was a communication issue. And um, Ascend Outdoors, Jason Mann was leading the, the, the teams to climb, and we were climbing an 80-foot rock face. There's this term, belay and belay on. How many of you heard that before? Anybody know what it means? Belay means safe, secure. I think it's a French word. The reason they use that is someone's not gonna be casually talking and say, okay, belay, you know, or they're not gonna casually say belay. And so someone on the cliff is well up in the air, 75 feet in the air, is giving some instructions. And the person that is flying them on the rope, now there's safety measures in place, but he mistakes, the guy in front of me mistakes that instruction for our climber versus the climber 20 feet away and almost makes a mistake because he listened to the wrong voice. It's just an illustration that pops into my head where it could have been critical because this guy over here is saying, hey, give me about four or five feet of slack. He's needing to climb around something. Four or five feet of slack for our boy wouldn't have been pretty. It, it, could, have hurt, it could have hurt him pretty bad. So it's, it's very important that we tune out opposition to hearing Jesus. And finally, um, and we'll close, Great Hills Baptist Church, get up and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. This is Jesus' first words to the disciples. And somebody needs to hear that this morning. Many of you, many of, I need to hear that this morning. What am I afraid of? Why am I afraid? Because I'm listening to the wrong voice. Jesus said, don't be afraid. Get up. Come on, let's go. Fear paralyzes our faith. It's detrimental to our walk to God. Be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication, what do you do? I want you to go to Philippians 4, 6 through 9, and read it to yourself when fear rises in your heart. Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving to God, make your requests known to God and the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I need to preach that to myself when I'm afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't let fear grip you. Now this isn't in my notes either, but yesterday I watched the national championship, college championship game again from a few I guess it was last week. I don't know, was it? And I watched the game in, a, in such a different light. I tuned the game in and I watched every play. And you know, Pastor Gary, I was not quite as intense as I was when I watched it on the night it was live. Play after play went and I thought, oh, this next play is an interception. I'm not worried about it. Oh, it's okay, that fumble recovery, that's not a big deal. Why was I not on edge? Why was I not gripped with some excitement, some anxious thoughts? Why? 
because I'd already seen the outcome. I'd already seen that. I'd already watched what happens. I already saw the results of the game. The Georgia Bulldogs win the national championship. And I was super excited about that. But as I'm watching it, I'm watching it having experienced it already. And my fear and my levels of anticipation were so low. And that gripped me. Because in that, there's some idolatry somewhere. In that, there's some unhealthy thought somewhere. And I can take that up before the Lord in my own personal time and not tie you up. But I want to tell you this. We have a playbook right here. And the last chapter is written and it's sealed. Jesus wins. We win. And that is something to be super excited about. We live and we operate from victory to victory. Hear that. Jesus has overcome the grave. He is not a baby. He is not a little in a manger. He's not there. Maybe why he never said, celebrate my birth. He said, celebrate my death. Because it's in the death that we have the resurrection. And it's in the death that we have victory. And the world has thrown all kinds of things at little Easter's and bay eggs and all this nonsense to try to take away from the victory in Christ. And he's coming back and he's a conqueror and he's won and he loves you and he wants our full devotion. And the father says, ladies and gentlemen, turn your eyes upon Jesus. I wanna pray for you and ask our band to get in place. If you guys would move, bow your heads and close your eyes. Christian, I want to speak to you first. Are you satisfied? Are you pleased? Are you well with Jesus this morning? Is Jesus your most beloved? Is he platformed above all? If not, I want to ask you just a clean house. Right where you're at in a moment, you can come to this altar. You can pray with one of the pastors, one of the counselors that will be up front. But I want to ask you to do business with God, Christian. God wants your full attention. The Father says, behold my son. And Jesus has lots of things um, to say to us to walk in victory this morning. Maybe you're in the sound of my voice and you would say, Daniel, I've never turned my life to Jesus. I'm not fully devoted to him. Then as the band begins to play and the instruments move and they get in place, I wanna ask you, would you give your life to Jesus this morning? I want to ask you, would you turn your full devotion over to him? He died on a cross for you, but he didn't stay there. And in, in, in that death, the resurrection following, we have victory. Because that sin that binds you, young man, that sin that you turned to yesterday, that you turned to last week, that you turned to the week before, months and years of your life has been gripping you. I want to, I promise you, freedom is found in Jesus because Jesus is the only one that can take away the sins of the world. And that doesn't mean that because he saved me and freed me from idolatry that I don't struggle from time to time to stay away from those things, but it is only because of Jesus that I am able to walk away 
for, as an addict and be free, 21 years free of addictions, it is because of Jesus and it's only Him. Find freedom in Jesus this morning. That may look like you turn into Him and you can do that right where you're seated. You can do that at the altar. Please don't leave this place without just turning your gaze to Jesus and telling Jesus, I want you. I give my life to you. When I was 24 years old, that's, it sounded like that. It was audible. I was in my truck by myself. It was just the Spirit of God. And He was moving in my life. And I said, I give up. And what I meant is I laid down my idols. I meant I give you my marriage. I meant I give you my life. I give you my business. I give you my addictions. I give you everything. I belong to you. And I transferred my trust to Him. And Jesus took the will of that vehicle of my life that day. And he has never turned me loose. And he wants you. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He doesn't say, behold, I stand at the door with a batter ram. He's not gonna beat the door of your life down. He's knocking because he wants you to open the door of your life to him this morning. Would you do that? We are here for you. Counselors, get in place. I'm gonna pray for you. Would you stand with me this morning? Counselors are gonna be up front and I wanna pray and ask God to do what he will in our lives as we close our time this morning through a response. Father, thank you for the encouragement we find in you. Thank you for the power of the gospel through which we are saved, through which we are being saved and through which we will be saved. And we just relish in your face and your glory we thank you for your love for us and that while we were yet sinners, you died. We find victory in that. So we believe you, God. I pray for that person this morning that is sitting on the edge trying to align life's choices and indiscretions and balancing the nonsense and the chaos and all of the indecision and crazy things and you're sitting there knocking, I pray they would answer the door. God, I pray for Christians that have answered the door and that you indwell them and the radiance of your glory has a desire to shine and increase as we walk with you. But yet there are some things that are rivaling for the throng. I pray as they, we turn from those this morning that we would see your face and we would see your grace. Um, and you would be glorified even more this week in our lives. Lord, take this time. Um, do, in, do in, in us and through us what you will. In Jesus' name, amen. You respond as the band sings this morning.